The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on how we work and how we live. Our guest for this episode is Chrissy Taylor. Chrissy is the CEO of Enterprise Holdings, the world's largest auto rental company and one of the world's largest private companies in general. Enterprise is a family company. Chrissy's grandfather founded it in 1957 with a grand total of seven cars. Chrissy has worked for the company since she was a child and became CEO just months before the U.S. went into lockdown and travel halted. Now, there's a growing demand for cars, not enough supply, and costs and labor issues are pressing concerns. Today, we hear from Chrissy about the future of her company and get some of the secrets to navigating a 65-year-old firm through a period of deep uncertainty. To start us off, I asked Chrissy to give us the surprising scope of Enterprise's business. Here's our conversation. So it is our 65th anniversary, and we are super excited. We're celebrating all year. It actually falls in line with what would have been my grandfather and our founder's 100th birthday. It's really great. And so my grandfather would have been amazed. He said, actually, to my father, who is executive chairman right now, he said, if we had 10,000 cars and a million bucks in revenue, like it would be amazing. And he teases my dad and says, thanks for screwing it up. So today we have over 1.5 million vehicles in our global fleet. We have 10,000 locations or what we call branches across the globe and also 81,000 amazing, amazing employees who I know some of them are on the stream today. So welcome to all the employees and thanks for everything that you do. And I think as we just tee up this conversation, one of the most important things and something that I continue to be focused on is continuing my grandfather's legacy. And he always kept it very simple. And it's about customers and employees first and everything else will fall into line. And so that's what we've really tried to stay focused on, not just me as CEO, but my father and the entire family and all of our employees. So we're excited. It's our 65th anniversary. So well, happy, happy birthday. In terms of the customers and employees, let's start with the customers. This year has been a, a year like I don't think anyone has ever seen before in the rental car industry. You've seen prices go up, uh, demand has spiked and inventory has, has dropped. What, what has that year been like for you? Yeah, it's excited. We have seen the demand pick up significantly. When we look at our global operations, we are up 20% and Europe is absolutely on fire. And so their business has increased really June over June, about 40%. So the traveler is back at it. We are excited and we want to make sure that consumers get back to the loved ones that they have not seen in so long. But as you said, there are a lot of headwinds out there with labor shortages. You know, the market is talking about supply chain issues with the chip shortage and vehicle volumes. We'd love to have more, but we are doing a great job. And so what we're doing is trying to stay focused on the customer is a couple things. We really are managed locally, and that's a competitive advantage for us. And so all of our employees, whether it's in an airport, like a huge one like Newark or LAX, they have local empowerment and tools to watch those demand and reservations come in. And so we can see what's coming in, what vehicle, and if they need more vehicles, with our 1 million vehicles just in the U.S., 
We have a fluid fleet that we can move them from our suburban locations to our airport locations. So where those customers are. And so that is a really important, important element um, to our fleet and our ability to meet the demand. Overall, we are so excited that travel is back on and we are watching it in New York and Florida and LA. Canada is finally open for business. So it's really great. And our team and especially our airport teams have performed beautifully. And so thanks to everybody on the call and all of our employees. They've done a really great job. So can you take us behind the scenes? What does that mean when you say you're moving cars around to different locations, you're looking at the demand? What's happening behind the scenes to get these cars to the right places? Yep. So let's just look at the U.S. So the U.S. has a national reservation system that we look at. And a majority of our reservations actually happen in the home city and suburban locations because that's where we were founded. That's where we started. And then really in 2008, along came National and Alamo and Enterprise. And so now we've got a bigger airport presence. And so we have management, our general managers who are in the field. So I'm in St. Louis. We have a general manager in St. Louis. We have several general managers in California and really across um, North America. We have 65 of them. And they are all talking and watching the reservations build. And so we can see what day are customers picking up? What vehicles are in the highest demand? Where do we need to move the fleet? Whether that's across the street or across to another city or across the country, we are coordinating those moves. And it's a key, key advantage for us. And most of the time with 6,500 locations in the U.S., you don't have to move the vehicles very far. Yeah. But again, it comes down to that local knowledge, the local empowerment, and then making sure that our employees have the tools and resources. One thing that we talk a lot about in our business is we're always listening to the customer. We know that they want control. We know they want transparency. We know they want personalization. And so as we continue to improve that customer experience, experience. We also want to make sure that we're improving the employee experience. And so those things have to be moving together in parallel in the same direction. And then we marry that up with technology, which is our rental system, which is our digital properties, which is new technology in the vehicle, like connected car to help us do fuel, miles, maintenance, and all of those things. So we talk a lot about that in the synergy between the customer and the employee. Because going back to what Jack said, it's like the most important thing that we do. How do you think about prices? You look at the cost of rental cars now versus two years ago, the last sort of normal uh, mm -hmm. pre-pandemic summer, rental car prices are up about 48% versus airline prices, which are up about 16%, hotel prices up 7%. Mm -hmm. NerdWallet did a recent study, Enterprises has done better than uh, uh, other car companies at keeping those prices down, but they're still way up above what consumers are used to. How do you think about costs? Mm -hmm. It's supply and demand drive pricing, but also we want to make sure that we're balancing our airport and our home city business. And so we take a hard look at what day is the customer picking up? How long are they renting the vehicle for? What vehicle is it? Is it a large SUV? Is it a small SUV? How many large SUVs do we have? And what's the demand for that? Because as people travel, the demand is really, really high. And so we do not want to overpromise to that customer. So there are a lot of factors that go into pricing. We're watching it every single day for all of our brands and all of our business lines because we want to be competitive, but we know at some point the consumer is going to say that is just too expensive. And so we watch it every single day, make sure we have the right tools, and we just want to marry up our fleet to what that demand is so we don't overpromise. And we've done a really nice job of that. JD Powers, um, we were awarded the JD Powers for customer satisfaction for enterprise and national, um, filling the 
top two spots. And it was a really nice recognition for our team that we are doing the right things as the J.D. Power looks at both pricing and the overall rental experience. You talked about uh, labor shortages. How do you get enough people in to fill the demand? Have you changed any process in terms of how you're either hiring or how you're retaining talent? Yeah, we are happy to be back on campus. So we are one of the largest recruiters of college graduates, and it really did not help us when all of the schools, everybody went home, we were on lockdown, all of those things that everybody was facing. But being back on campus, we have recruiters in every single market talking about our value proposition. Our management training program is the initial program that you go into. I started in our management training program, I actually started as an intern our management training program is a great pipeline. And over the last few months, that application flow just continues to grow. And so we are hiring, we are open for business. We've also try and help centralize some of the application flow so that we can move faster in the process. That's definitely something a lot of companies are talking about is there's so many job offers out there and that people are applying for that we need to make sure that we're moving faster through that process. But then our local operations and our local recruiters, um, they're doing a great job. And so we feel good about where we are, but we, we definitely have a need for people. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What's the change? What does that centralization bring you? So what we've done is because in every single city, if people are applying for the management training program, the job application or the offer looks the same. And so we've just centralized some of the first parts of the process of sorting through the application. What is the first point of contact? Um, so we've got somebody doing that for the country that then feeds it down to Atlanta, to New York, to St. Louis, to Denver. And so it speeds up the process and it helps the efficiency of our operators so they can focus on what's really important. And that is the candidate's experience and getting through the process and really understanding who we are. Got it. So centralizing bureaucracy and then leaving the actual talking to, uh, to the people who are going to be working, uh, the, the hirers. You want to see what you're going to do. Come to our branch, like take a look at it. Like that's part of the job process or the application process. It's a two-way street. We're, you know, asking you questions. They should ask us questions. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more with Chrissy Taylor. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. Chrissy's tenure as CEO puts her in a unique generation of C-suite executives who have come into their position during a global pandemic, civil unrest, and enormous changes to the global economy. I asked how this framed her leadership approach as head of Enterprise Holdings. 
Yeah, there's definitely a group of us that have been talking that became CEO during the pandemic. And the one thing, there is definitely a crisis management CEO, and that's how I was defining myself for two years. And I finally said, no more. I'm not a crisis management CEO. When you're in a crisis, you need to get a game plan. I cannot over-communicate. I mean, it is so important when things are uncertain, both at home and at work, the over-communication really just, just helped the whole entire team. But being a crisis management CEO, you're not in crisis all the time. And so we have really hit an inflection point where travel demand is up. We're thinking about the future, mobility, EVs, technology, all of that continues to move and pick up speed. And so we need to stop being in crisis management. Of course, we have a day-to-day job, but now we need to focus on the future and what that means to us. You know, our ambition is to be the world's world's most trusted mobility brand um, out there. And I know it's a big ambition, but we have to start thinking about the future and not crisis management. And so I think there's a group of CEOs who are crisis management, but we're all talking to each other about how do we transition and start getting the teams to think about the future. So how do you transition? Yeah, it's great. You bring the team along and we say, you know what? I can rely on my team. We've got a bunch of great operators. They know what to do all the time in the field. Now we need to bring a team together and listen to the organization and listen to our customers and get the feedback on what they're saying and how we need to evolve. And over the past 65 years, we have done that. We are way more than rental car. People know us and love us, and we love it that they know us and love us through National and Alamo and Enterprise, but we have nine other mobility lines that are growing and present a huge opportunity for us, and not to mention transitioning to EV. So we have our original business, fleet management, which is long-term leasing. They have over 600,000 vehicles, they're big. We have a truck rental department that continues to grow, and there's huge opportunity for that. We have car share, which is hourly car rental. We have that both in the North America and in the UK. We have our car sales um, division, oh, commute. So we, if you want to go back and forth with a group of people um, to work, commute with enterprise. And so for 65 years, we have been evolving. And so we know how to do that. We just need to get out of crisis mode and take that step forward to continue to lead. And I think, you know, electric vehicles are a perfect example of that in moving forward. Well, let's talk about that. How do electric vehicles change what enterprise does, how you rent cars, what the consumer experiences? Yeah, we have been looking at that very hard and we've embraced the responsibility to transition our vehicles or our fleet to to EV. But we need to do that in a thoughtful and sustainable way where customers and communities will come along with us. So EV demand has ticked up in the U.S. and we've already integrated thousands of EVs into our fleet. And we actually need our employees to understand EVs. So all of our management team, we are driving EVs to understand what are those challenges? What is the infrastructure? What does it look like? What is range anxiety? Are there enough chargers? How do they work? What's the technology in there? So that's the first part is just educating our team. And then we need to ensure that we are bringing solutions to market that provide great customer experiences. Because just like we have some anxiety around EVs, so do our customers. So we need to continue to make sure that EV experience is top notch. Then along with that, we can't roll out EVs unless we have a charging infrastructure. And we all have heard in the news that that is challenging. Um, And so we are investing in 
infrastructure in EV charging? What does that look like? What does that mean for us? And so it's about our employees, it's about our customers, and it's about making about making sure we're investing in the market for the long haul. Um, and I know I keep going on, but one more thing that we are really well positioned for is our global footprint. And that most of our interactions with our customers happen off airport. And a lot of our business is because, unfortunately, someone's been in an accident and they're looking for a replacement vehicle. And that is a great opportunity for us to introduce this customer who is potentially in the market for a new vehicle. We can introduce them to new technology, whether that be a connected car or an electric vehicle. And we can show them how that works and they can test drive it while their vehicle is getting fixed or they're looking for another one. Yeah. So we are really well positioned in this transition we need to do it in a smart way. And it's not just about adding hundreds of thousands of vehicles into our fleet. So do you have a tipping point year? Do you expect there to be a certain period where you are renting or selling more EVs than you are ICE cars? It's an evolution. And we are working every day with the manufacturers to, to um, make sure that we bring in the right amount of EVs. And I think every country is different. I think Europe is moving very quickly, probably faster than the US. So we don't have a specific point in time, but it is an evolution and we will continue, we will continue to evolve and work towards that. You mentioned all of the different initiatives going on in enterprise, whether it's the commute or car sales, EVs. Can you talk about how new ideas are embraced? Do those all come from the top? Is that you and your management team coming up with them? Do you expect others in the organization to develop businesses and pitch them? What's the process like for coming up one of, with one of these uh, areas that expands beyond uh, rental? The best ideas, they come from the field all the time. They are in it. They understand what's happening locally. And so we really, we take a lot of time to listen to the field and examples. So all of our national meetings, we are back on and in person. And all the general managers that I talked about just a second ago, all of our general managers and the regional vice presidents, which are right below them, we are having a meeting at the end of September. And that's where we share best practices, ideas, what's going on in your market. Um, and so we really spend the time to listen to our employees. So we're known for We'll Pick You Up. We'll Pick You Up came from the field. And that was a huge campaign for us. That that's, that's how a lot of people know enterprise. So our field is amazing. This idea of coming up with something ent entirely new, planning mm -hmm. a new business line that enterprise hasn't done in the past. How do you encourage people to come up with those kind of ideas? Yeah, I don't know if we're going to take a total left turn. It's really about evolving and listening to our customers and making sure that we're meeting their expectations and making sure that we're bringing innovative solutions to solve their problems, whether it be business to business or to the consumer. Over 65 years, it's been an evolution and we will continue to do that. I think what's important as a leader is making sure you understand what your core competencies are. Because if you know what your core competencies are, you can do anything. And my dad always says this. He says, you know what? We might be doing different things, but the way in which we do it and everything that we are, the core to our DNA, will never change. Our customer expectation and experiences, making sure we're exceeding them, will never change. Making sure that we're developing and providing opportunities for our employees will never change. We are a growth company, which means we'll need new ideas. We will need to continue to evolve. And if we grow, that means that our, our customers are coming back to us. They're having great experiences. We're providing opportunities for our people. And then if you do those three things, everything else will fall into place. And so that really just goes back to Jack's philosophy. 
So whatever we're doing, just stay true to your core competencies and who you are um, to the core of your DNA. And that's how we'll be successful. Well, let's talk about your core DNA because this is the company you have worked for your entire life. As a kid, you would you would come to the office, you intern there. How do you think about your own career progress through enterprise? What made you decide that you were going to do this for life? Yeah, well, <laughs> I hope I do it for life. Um, it really started at the dinner table. You know, I saw Jack's passion. I Jack, my grandfather. I saw my father's passion for the business. And when we were, would sit down at the dinner table, it was more about the people. It was all about people providing opportunities, how great it was, what happened at work. Oh, I went to all these locations and branches. And so I knew that enterprise was an enterprise holdings was a fun and friendly place to work. And so in college, like most college students during the summer, you better get a job um, or do something. And so I came back to St. Louis during the summers and I said, well, why don't I intern? Why don't I try this out? And it was great. I was terrible, but like any first job, but it was great. It was fun. It was competitive. It was energizing. You were always on your feet. You're moving around. You're solving problems for customers. And that's really when I fell in love with the business and then became a full-time management trainee into 2000. I've had 17 jobs since then. I worked in Europe. So it's really, it's just a continuing, continuous learning cycle and I enjoy it. And it's all about our people. And a few years ago in CNN, you wrote an op-ed explaining how important you think it is to bring your own kids, not just bring them to work, but to have them experience work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The kids all just went back to school this week and we're really excited. Everybody was nervous. And, you know, on the weekends, um, when we when I come into the office, I'm always like, oh, what homework do you have to do? Let's go in the office. And my dad's office is actually right next to me. And he still comes into work every single day. And so I tell the kids, I'm like, hey, let's go into work. You know, you're going to do your homework and Pop Pop will be there because that's what we call him. Pop Pop will be there as well. And let's just see what's going on. And it's not about forcing it. It's just about understanding because we love this business. We are a privately held multi-generational family business. We want it to continue for the next 65 years like this. We are passionate about it. And so if nothing else, my children just need to understand it, be a good steward of it, and they need to find what their passion is. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned being privately held. What is the the thinking there in staying private? Have you ever been tempted to go public? Why, why continue as a private company? We love the business. We are owners and operators. And so there we have a very small family. I have two sisters. And then my dad's sister has two sisters. So we are a small family made up of all women, which is amazing. And we love the business. My cousin works for the business as well. She runs our foundation. My aunt also works in the foundation. And we are committed to the business. We are committed to the family. It's exciting. It's fun. And so we have, we have not considered going public. And no pressure to raise money. You can fund everything through the current channels. It's because of our awesome people. And my dad has, has done an amazing job. When I look back, you know, Jack, my grandfather, was really the true entrepreneur, the risk taker. He flew off the USS Enterprise, you know, during the war with no radar. I mean, he was a risk taker. Then comes my dad, who really could see the business and painted the vision and the long haul vision of how awesome this company could be. And so he did that. He put policies in place. He hates it when I call him the governance guy. But you need guardrails and governance 
to make sure that the business is growing and we're disciplined. And so they did a beautiful job. And now I'm coming in and have got to paint my own vision, but respect the history, respect the amazing foundation that we have and continue to build on that for the next 65 years. You're one of the few CEOs who have been through a female-to-female CEO handoff. That is a rarity. You were the first. I'm not sure how many have been done since then. I don't think many, if any. Uh, How do you think about that? How important is that to you? Uh, What do you think about who follows you? It's so important. And Pam Nicholson um, was the CEO, non-family member um, CEO, who did a great job. Um, She was in a role for about six years and she took a chance on me. She mentored me and she paid it forward. And so when I think about that handoff and women helping women and women leading women, I always look at myself and say, how am I paying it forward? And how can I personally develop our organization, develop everyone, but specifically to women? how can I spend time with them and understand, you know, where they are in their career path? And so I'm actually doing it. it it's, I think I can say this, it's called Cocktails with Chrissy. And so all of our St. Louis based employees of females, uh, they're 250. We are doing, it's taken me a year, but we have Cocktails with Chrissy and I invite them at 10 at a time. And we all talk about our careers, um, where we've been, what we've done, our families, and then a fun fact so that we can all get to know each other. And then the goal is I'm trying to pay it forward to them and understand who they are and where they are in their career and, and mentor and support. They then need to pay it forward with someone else in their organization, whether that's taking them to coffee, taking them to lunch, or maybe just having a team's call to understand who they are. And so it is this huge culture of pay it forward. It has taken a lot of time and energy, but it's so great. These fun facts are unbelievable. It really is about paying it forward. No, that's great. That sounds like uh, an incredible event. And are you tracking to make sure that people are paying it forward or is it just an <laughs> Yes, we're getting emails and we know who's gone through the program mm-hmm. and it ended up being, it was sort of informal. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I think we miscounted. We have a lot more women, which is exciting um, than I had anticipated. So um, we had to move into breakfast and lunch. <laughs> Sorry, I cover all the bases, <laughs> all the meals. We'd love to end these with a career advice. What do you tell people who are either just starting out their career or maybe they're midway through it? How do you, what kind of advice do you give them on how to make sure they're having a successful and rewarding career? I think there's two things. Ask lots of questions, never stop learning. That's, that's really, really important. And then raise your hand, raise your hand for opportunities. We get nervous that we're not ready or I don't have the full package. Just raise your hand. I would not be in this position if I didn't raise my hand. And there is no way in January, 2020, I knew it was coming or that I was ready, but I mean, our team is so phenomenal and we have each other to lean on. So make sure you're asking a lot of questions and continuing to learn and raise your hand for those opportunities. Thank you so much for joining us here today. That was a terrific conversation. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That was Chrissy Taylor, the CEO of Enterprise Holdings. To get more mileage out of this conversation, check out my newsletter on LinkedIn. It's also called This Is Working. My chat with Chrissy was invigorating. I especially appreciated the insight that Enterprise is a mobility company rather than a rental car company. That kind of phrasing opens her and the company up to a world of possibilities beyond how to just get more people behind more Camrys. Chrissy also talked a lot about how integral her employees are to Enterprise's continued success. And the feeling seems to be deeply mutual. Check out the live version of this conversation over on LinkedIn to see how passionate some of Enterprise's more than 80,000 employees are about their work and their leader. 
We opened the conversation with a discussion about the skyrocketing cost of travel, driven a lot by supply chain issues. I'd love to hear from you on how you've seen these pressures in your world. How have you shifted what or where you buy, whether that's for you or your company? You can tag me into the conversation using the hashtag, this is working. Please remember to rate or review us on your favorite podcast listening app and be sure to tell a friend or colleague. It helps so much. This is Working is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Stephen Valdivia, Aliyah Savalos, Taisha Henry, Victoria Taylor, and Candace Weiner. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our head of news production. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.